0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other
2: (laughs) Eagles podcast with John Stolmes and Brandon Lee Gowler? You are listening to BGN Radio, your source for the best Philadelphia Eagles analysis in the game. This is episode fifty-three, brought to you by the fine folks of SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Obviously, follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. I'm filling in for John Stolnus today because this is a special episode about the organized team activities. And here with me to break it down, he was there live at the NoviCare Complex. Is Brandon Lee Gaulton, BLG? How you doing, brother? Mike, glad to be here
1: with you. It is really the first Eagles practice before the 2019 season, so
2: it's a good time. It's absolutely exciting, and I'll remind you, gentle listener, that BLG has a live thread of the Tuesday practice up on bleedinggreenation.com today, along with his thoughts afterwards. Make sure you check out that for more analysis, but while we have you here, we might as well break down what happened today at the organized team activities. BLG first up, I mean, obvious here, Carson Wentz, no knee brace. Full participant during phase three of OTAs, slinging the pigskin around, looking spry, looking healthy. What did you think of the Eagles franchise quarterback?
1: I was encouraged by what I saw from Carson Wentz on the first day of OTAs in 2019. Obviously, you get the report coming from Ian Rappaport earlier this week that there was going to be no limitations, but then you think, okay, this is Ian Rappaport. There could be something not exactly 100% here. (laughs) Thankfully, you had Doug confirm it before practice, and then watching Carson in practice He was full go. There was no limitations at all. Also, again, as you mentioned, Mike, there was no knee brace, which is different from this time last year. And I think that's kind of a big difference for him because last year watching him in practice or even in games, whatever, he was always tugging at that thing. Like You you could tell he did really not like wearing that knee brace. So uh, I think that's kind of a big theme from this practice is that Carson wants to seem more comfortable, not only with not having the brace, but even just personality-wise to his press conference, he just seems more at ease. I think that has a lot to do not having to look over his shoulder anymore and see Nick Foles there. And I think it also has to do with him not having to face this constant injury question uh, or line of questioning like he had to face in press conferences last year coming off the ACL. So it kind of just seems like Carson Wentz is in a good spot. He's calm. He's calm. This wasn't his sharpest practice I've ever seen, but it was also like pretty solid. It looked like, okay, this is Carson Wentz. This is what I expect out of him. Everything looked about normal, and I think that's really a good way to start for him.
2: I think he saw that he started the 11-on-11s off with, I think, three straight incompletions. There was a drop in there as well, but then it seemed as if he started to find a rhythm. I think it was Zach Rosenblatt actually tracked the stats and said that Carson Wentz went 13 of 19 with a touchdown. Do you think like the rust was initially and then he started to get into a groove? Is that what you saw? Yeah, I I think that's about right. I think um, you really
1: liked what you saw. The ball was getting out quick. It was accurate. Carson has had a tendency to kind of lead some throws a little too much. I feel like, especially towards the sideline or deep down the field in the past, we see some overthrows on those. Didn't really see that so much today. Honestly, didn't see him go deep a ton today. It's just the first practice. Didn't really see a lot of deep shots from the other quarterbacks, too. So it's not like everyone was just chucking it down the field, and he wasn't. Yeah. He he was throwing to Zach Ertz, which will obviously make people <laughs> mad. But he was also throwing to Dallas Goddard. Mm. And we'll get to him a little bit later. So just a lot of good stuff from him. Uh, one of my favorite throws from Wentz today was the, he had Ertz on a post, dropped it right on his hands, perfect pass. It's what you like to see. It's like, yes, that's that's exactly what I wanted to see out of Carson Wentz, that getting the ball out quick, making good decisions, accurate passes. There's some stuff he can clean up. But, hey, you know, again, it's the first day of OTAs. He'll yeah. work on some stuff. And that's really the big thing here, Mike, just the fact that Carson Wentz has this entire offseason to get ready for 2019. That's been a big selling point yeah. for Wentz believers such as probably you and me. <laughs> the fact that, you know, unlike last year where he had to deal with, he, you know, he didn't practice much at all in terms of you know he was limited no OTAs and then in training camp he practiced for like a day or two and then they held yeah. him back that shouldn't be the case
2: this year he should be full go and I think the reps do matter for him yeah I think he's primed for a big season I was listening to Lewis Reddick today on on NFL Network and he was talking about you know the, the pieces that they have put around Wentz and put him in a position to succeed where he's really excited about the weapons around him he talked about it today in his press conference what was the impression that you got from Wentz during his press conference did he have like nervous energy was he excited how do you feel it went for him
1: no he just seemed like at peace and relaxed which is a different Carson Wentz than we saw or have seen really in the past I think last year he was so annoyed and I would be too if I was him to be (laughs) honest with you you're just getting injury questions all the time it's it's the same questions basically every day like when are you going to be ready how's the knee feeling (laughs) And you could just tell he was frustrated. And obviously, Carson, though, is also, uh, while he's frustrated, he's also from North Dakota. and He's a very, you know, (laughs) nice temperament. So, like, you you know, he's a nice guy. So, like, he's trying to put on his best face here. But you can also just tell, as with any human being who would be frustrated naturally in the situation, that's where he was last year. And I just, I think we saw a different Carson Wentz in that regard. Again, just seems to be in a good state of mind. Uh, looking good out there on the field. So all around, just pretty encouraged by what I, I saw out of Carson Wentz on his first day of OTAs.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was watching his press conference today, and I'm, I'm going to throw that up on the feed here sometime this week, but he always felt like in the, in the last year or so when dealing with these injury questions, like you said, Carson's a nice dude, but you could tell there was something a little bit under the surface that was bubbling. Today, he seemed really relaxed. So that was encouraging to see coming in with an, at a nice you know, place in his head to come out and perform. But look, let, let's move on from Carson Wentz and what we're going to do this show. We're going to kind of give a brief overview of like pretty much everything that happened. Of course, we're going to spend some more time on the extra big storylines like Carson Wentz and what we're going to talk about now. So we'll give an offense, defense breakdown. And then obviously BGN Radio with you and John Stolnes later in the week is going to delve even deeper into what you saw today. But BLG, major missing persons alert. Mm. So I gave my rundown of my thoughts on the Malcolm Jenkins situation on the at the podium leading into the Doug Peterson press conference. Um, as everyone has probably seen by now that he is a no show for voluntary OTAs. I think the date in which to really watch is the mandatory minicamp starting June 11th. But I think both you and I agree that if it's more guaranteed money that he's asking for, that the Eagles should pony up the dough. Am I right? I mean, what is the Eagles alternative? You know, what (laughs) what are they
1: going to do if they're not going to do that and Malcolm Jenkins wants to hold out? I I don't think it will come to that. I think the Eagles know they have to give Malcolm Jenkins basically what he wants and they should give him what he wants. I get this whole idea in concept as as a theory of like, okay... You have to be careful about paying players who are already under contract because it could set a dangerous precedent in that other players are going to what new contracts in a vacuum. I think there's some merit to that. Uh, You don't want to just be giving out contracts willy nilly all the time. But I think very much so in the case of Malcolm Jenkins, he is the exception. He is the guy who you want to set a precedent of, hey, if you go out and you do everything that we could possibly ask for you and you don't miss any snaps in a whole season, and really not many over the past couple of seasons. Oh, also, you play multiple positions on the field, and you're our most vocal leader, defensive captain, arguably captain of the whole team. That's the guy you want to pay. That's the guy you want to set a precedent for. Like, hey, if you can emulate Malcolm Jenkins... We will gladly rip up your contract a couple years into it and pay you more because that's what we want from you. Like you know, you couldn't want anything more from Malcolm Jenkins. He helped you win the Super Bowl. He helped save the season in 2018, as you wrote about Mike, with him, you know, going up to Jim Schwartz and helping the defense get simplified when it was too complicated and it was yeah. struggling. So Malcolm Jenkins is incredibly important to this team. To not have him at OTAs is fine in the sense of like he's not missing anything, and the Eagles I don't really think are missing anything. It's almost good in the sense that he can't get hurt uh, on the practice field, like yeah. Ruben Foster did in Washington, you know, have a kind of a situation like that. But I think mm. it's it's not great in the sense of, you know, this is supposed to be your defensive, or he, not supposed to be, he is your defensive captain, he is your leader. And to not have him, that leadership kind of on the field and in the locker room, I think that kind of hurts a little bit. And I don't blame Malcolm for that, it's voluntary, but I think the Eagles kind of should they have to get this squared up at some point here and I think they will before training camp gets
2: here yeah and you mentioned Reuben Foster and I want to talk about that in a second but one last question on Malcolm Jenkins do you think it's just a matter of guaranteed money with him because it seems like on his contract he has gone through most of the guarantees and doesn't have a whole lot left as he's getting up there in age of course he's trying to secure some money for his future do you think it's more of a matter of guaranteeing some of it rather than like giving him a massive pay spike? because I don't think he's gonna demand that type of like I need to be a top three paid safety or anything like that I think he just wants to make sure that know you know, he's taken care of, and if he gets injured, then he's still got some guarantees in there.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Look, the Eagles have about $27 million in cap space, so it's not like they're hurting for funds to give to Malcolm Jenkins. They, they can figure this out. I think they will figure it out. You kind of mentioned there, Mike, that the most significant date to watch next is that mandatory minicamp. Because mm. there are fines if Malcolm Jenkins misses that, it's not really big. I think it's eighty k. Yeah, eighty k yeah. in total for all three of those days, if I'm not mistaken. Which really is nothing. And the Eagles could waive that fee too. Like if they get yeah. if Malcolm Jenkins misses those days and they get together later and they agree on something, like they can just waive those fees. So it's not like the end of the world. So that's it. Would just be nice to get him back
2: sooner than later. Is the point? Yeah, one hundred percent agree. Let me let me ask you about the Ruben Foster situation because first drill that he does there with the Washington Redskins, the linebacker, tears up his knee. Apparently, his foot was sideways. There was possible artery damage. I haven't really seen too many updates on it, but his year is effectively done with that from what we understand, and it could be even worse than that. So, You, you feel bad for the guy going down like that, but that this is more of my larger point here. Do you love, and you can only pick one, do you love or hate OTAs? Because I hate them. And there's all types of stuff that you can glean from this. And we're going to talk about some of the different positional things going on once we start to dig into individual performances and what certain groups look like. Like all of that's fantastic. That's nice to know. But I sit there in fear every minute when they're out there practicing. That a big time injury is going to happen to somebody because you see it from 32 teams. There's an injury like almost every 30 minutes while it's going on and you're just holding your butt the entire time hoping something terrible doesn't happen. Like I feel like the only real concrete news that you can hang on to this type of year is bad news. Yeah, it's a good point, Mike. And that's
1: really the number one thing of OTAs is just get everyone healthy. Like if you, if the offense looks terrible, if the defense looks terrible, if the special teams looks terrible, if everything's horrible, but everyone is healthy at the end <laughs> of OTAs, you've won, like you've made it. Uh, just get healthy. That's that's really the most important thing. Obviously, you don't want those things to happen, but if you can stay healthy, that is the number one goal. And look, we saw this with the Eagles last year. I mean, Paul Worlow, mm. defensive linchpin, not quite, but you know, <laughs> he got hurt on the first day. And really only a couple plays into practice last year. And that's just, you know, it sucks. Because, like, you're just, your season is done before, well before it really even began. So, mm. personally, Mike, I love OTs because <laughs> we can podcast about it and I can write about it on VDN. And, you know, I'm out there in the practice field. It's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm very fortunate I get to do that. It's, it's an awesome opportunity. And it just, just I know it's not real football, but just to even see Carson Wentz out there throwing to Deshaun Jackson. By the way, which mm. happened. And Deshaun Jackson is really on this team. Like, that's fun. That's really fun for me to be there. Now, I get it. If I'm you and I get where you're coming from and you're just sitting at home and you're kind of just monitoring the timeline to make sure no one's dying. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's horrifying. So I get it. And I think it's kind of dumb because it probably I don't think it makes a world's difference. Um, to have these but you know for my selfish purposes i do like it
2: yeah so i get that so you so you love it and, and i understand i think we all like licks so i think we can both appreciate that so i see where you're coming from there i just man i i worry my butt off so much about these dudes because i don't want to see i don't want to like i'm not a guy that roots for injuries on any team And I have players that I root for outside of the Eagles because I love their game and I worry about them too. So I'm a big worrywart when it comes to that. So I hate that aspect of it, but I definitely see your point as well. You talked about the connection between Deshaun Jackson and Carson Wentz, but first we got to talk about second year guy, man, Dallas Goddard, tight end, made a big circus catch on a freak play from what I understand I haven't seen the video of it but overall Goddard looked good from what I can tell from following along on your timeline tell us about the the crazy touchdown and how the second year tight end is kicking butt so far
1: yeah well I think it was just kind of clearly a new version of the Philly special where Carson Wentz throws to Zacherts on like a quick curl Zacherts catches it but also gets hit as he's catching the ball. So the ball pops up into the air and then it looks like a defensive player is going to get it. Um, as I feel like most of those opportunities, the, the defense does get it, yeah. but all of a sudden Dallas Goddard is just huge and dominant and just grabs the ball out of the air. And then he just runs with it and no one can tackle him because he's a beast. Um, really good play by Doug Peterson and Micro. You got to give Micro credit for clearly drawing that one up into the offense. Uh, but no, Mike, seriously, though, <laughs> Dallas Scotter looks really good. And yeah. this is really the case last year as well. I thought he looked pretty dominant in offseason practices, but he looks like even better now. He's just so big and strong and he can get open. And even when he's not open, you know, it's not, it's not like he's creating tons of separation, but he's just so strong. If someone tries to contest the catch, like you're not going to be able to, to knock the ball out of his hand. He has such strong hands. Like it's really fun to watch. He is so good, and he is too good to not be playing a lot this year. So, Doug Peterson, Mike Groh, please, you know, fix this. No more of this lack of 12 personnel like we saw in 2018. You have to get those guys on the field together. And to their credit and an encouraging sign, I did see a good amount of 12 personnel today. It's not like they're running it as their base offense, but still, I did see a lot of two tight end sets, and that's encouraging to me, and I hope we see a ton of that because, again, Dallas Goddard is too good to not be on the field very often. And Zach Ertz too, by the way, like, you know, it's, it's very easy to get excited about Dallas Goddard. He's the hot new thing, but Zach Ertz is like just, just as dominant still. So those two guys better be on the field a lot this year.
2: So as long as we don't trade for Golden Tate again, I think we're good. I think we're <laughs> going to see a lot of 12 personnel. Look, let's talk about the wide receiver position before we go to break here. Let's talk about Deshaun Jackson. Number one, did he hit his top gear? today did he blow your butt off w- with a nine route or did he kind of keep it in in first gear there
1: yeah he was he
2: wasn't going all
1: out and that shouldn't nah. be surprising it's the sun and that's fine you know I, I don't need to see him going all out in <laughs> the first day of OTAs and like tweaking his hammy right away he didn't dog it you know but he, he gave a moderate amount of effort Carson Wentz and him connected on some shorter passes and that's fine we're gonna see that deep bomb at some point it could be as soon as next week it's coming at some point I know yeah. it is and uh, I think Sudfeld actually or someone I don't know maybe it was Wentz I can't remember who uh, chucked it for Deshaun deep at one point and Razul was actually playing him well and we can get into that in a little bit But as far mm-hmm. as Deshaun goes just even having him out there again Is just really cool to see and kind of surreal just the fact that you know it's <laughs> It's been since 2013 since he's been on the team It's been a long time and for him to be back, you know wearing the same number and just being out there as a dynamic weapon It's just fun. It's fun to see him back And I'm really excited to see when we start seeing Carson Wentz and him hook up on some of those deep shots.
2: Yeah. And don't poo poo the shorter stuff either, because I'm telling you, Deshaun Jackson was tops in the league or close to tops in the league as far as average cushion per next gen stats. And he's going to be working a lot of those curls and comebacks when they give him those seven and eight yard cushions that we know from the Jim Schwartz defense. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's going to be a a big part of their game. That's a big part of their route tree. And Carson throws it well. Deshaun runs it well. Teams are going to be afraid of the deep speed. And the Eagles are going to be able to eat them up underneath. So it's good for them to build that chemistry on those routes. Okay, one last one I'm going to ask you about on the offensive side of the ball as far as the skill positions. JJ Arcega White's side, how did he look at OTAs?
1: He had a couple drops today. You know, he's a rookie player, not uncommon. Bust? Yeah, bust. <laughs> Wasted pick. He did have a moment where I think Sudfeld threw him a, a contested shot down the field and you saw him go up for that catch like he we've seen him capable of doing if you watch any kind of Stanford uh, highlight videos he didn't come down with the ball unfortunately you know lost on his way down but you could see the ability was there just to, to track it to know to be in the right position to jump at the right time like all the timing that that was all there you know he just didn't yeah. finish the play so it, it was good to see that, just to see like that skill that makes him unique, one of them that he has, but you know certainly one that pops out. Just to see that translate to the NFL, and it's only an OT practice, but just to see that, uh, I guess, is encouraging. Just to you know kind of see that carry
2: over. I can't wait to see a moss and Dudes. Okay, so when we get back here. On BGN Radio, episode 53, me and Brandon Lee Gouton, we're going to be talking about the different positional groups, how things lined up, how they shaped out the offensive line, the defensive backfield, a lot of questions about what those groups are going to look like moving forward. That's up next here on BGN Radio, episode 53. And we are back here on Bleeding Green Nation. It's me and Brandon Lee Gouton breaking down OTAs, Tuesday, May 21st, getting it done. Look, the offensive line. So there's guys missing. There's guys moving around. There's guys getting cross-trained, as Doug Peterson talked today in the press conference. There's a new right guard in town. Could that be something that we see moving forward? I think if there's anything sticky about the different, you know, combinations of the offensive line that that we're going to see in OTAs, this might be the one that sticks. What's going on at right guard? Well, Mike, I'm sure you're very excited to hear about this. <laughs>
1: this is your number one option. Big V uh, is your yeah, potentially you're starting right guard for the Eagles in 2019 until Brandon Brooks comes back, of course. I mean, it it looks like it might be... I mean, again, first day OTAs, this could easily change throughout the rest of the offseason. But still, I mean, the fact that Big V is getting the first look there is significant. It's clear he's ahead of Wiz on the depth chart in that regard because there was a little bit there where Wiz was taking first team center reps because the Eagles are just trying to take it easy on Jason Kelsey as he gets older. Yeah, But then Kelsey came back in And Big V stayed at right guard, and Milata was working at right tackle with Lane Johnson out. And obviously, Andre Dillard was at left tackle with Jason Peters out. So, a lot of starters missing there. But so Big V wasn't the swing tackle, he is now the swing guard, apparently. (laughs) Uh, which is, you know, kind of an interesting development and maybe
2: uh, not the worst thing. What do you think about that move, Mike? I actually like that because I feel like a lot of the issues with Big V, like I think he's a solid run blocker. I think a lot of his issues stem from being a pass blocker and then being put in those situations on an island like the Eagles like to ask him to do. And really, his confidence suffered last year, starting from the preseason when he got beat over and over again. I think it makes a lot of sense. To kick him in, especially considering the tackle depth, because you're either banking on a second year guy who didn't play a snap last year and Matt Pryor to step up, or you're banking on Steven Wisniewski. And look, I I went through and I was watching some run game stuff for the Eagles and I was watching Wisniewski and I really saw him struggle. And it really, and I was a a fan of the move to start Sia over him when it happened. I know a lot of people weren't, but I thought Wiz really, really struggled, especially. In the run game. So if they can get Big V kicked inside and he can be protected more there then I think you might be able to get a little bit more value out of him. And maybe that's like his long-term thing that he's a a guard mostly that can also give you some, some tackle versatility as well. So that might be really good for his career when you think about it, uh, especially if you let him get out of his own head and get, get some positive reps at guard. So I think it's a good move. I think it's interesting and, and it'll be interesting to see who wins that spot before Brooks is able to get back. Hopefully he's back for the season opener. Not so sure about that, but yeah, I think big V is a legitimate contender outright guards. So we'll see what happens there. Let's flip it to the defensive side of the ball. The starting five defensive back configuration is likely to be a fluid situation up until the regular season. Today, there was no Ronald Darby or Jalen Mills. Of course, they're recovering from their injuries. But who was starting where on Tuesday?
1: Yeah, so in the secondary, you have Sidney Jones and Razul Douglas on the outside, as expected, I guess. And then Avante Maddox lining up in the slot Mm. at safety. You have Andrew Sandejo and Trey Sullivan. What a safety pair back there.
2: I heard Sandejo was good today,
1: though. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, he he wasn't bad um, from what I saw. But still, I mean, just you know, yeah. not, not <laughs> the most ideal lineup uh, right away. So yeah. what I saw from those guys is Douglas, to me, is looking good and not just really because he looks good physically. <laughs> Obviously, if you saw that article on Bleeding Green Nation where Rizul is like rocked up now. Yeah. The thing that stood out to me about him today, other than, you know, he was matching Deshaun's speed, practice speed uh, <laughs> on one rep. You know, I think if Deshaun, you know, is going all out. I don't think Rizul is easily staying up with him. But the, the thing I did like about Rizul, I just felt like he used his size well. Like, you know, he is a bigger corner. He has that bigger body. So use that to beat up on some of these smaller receivers. He's not going to be able to run with those guys a lot of the time. But if he can like beat up on them and kind of throw them off their route and throw them off their timing, like that's what I saw today. I saw plays where he just disrupted the timing and the quarterback threw to Deshaun. And Deshaun wasn't where he probably should have been because Razul kind of got him off of his spot there. So uh, I like to see that. I really think Rizul could potentially be an important player for this team this year, especially depending on what happens with Darby and Mills and their health and their recovery. And maybe, you know, Rizul starts the season and he plays so well that he kind of steals a job there. I mean, that would be great to see. Uh, you know, this is going to be his third year. This would be the time to step up and, and make a difference for this team. So really like what I saw out of Sewell. I know Benjamin Solak will be excited about to hear about that. Didn't really notice as much from Sydney. I don't know if this is just me or what, but I feel like I never get a lot from Sydney. Maybe that doesn't mean he's doing a bad job. I, I just don't always get a ton out of him. He did get now, this was on two and two on two, so it's not like the full defense situation. He did get hmm. beat by Richard Rogers once. I saw which like isn't the best thing to me, because Rogers is probably one of the slower skilled players on the <laughs> team. Um, but you know, it's one rep, so I'm not gonna make a ton out of that. Maddox though, Avante Maddox, boy, is he good? Between Goddard, you know, and Maddox, you know, that 2018 draft class is looking pretty good. Yeah. Even with just those two guys. Uh, Maddox is a stud, man. Like, he just makes plays. He, he picked off Cody Kessler, and yeah, it's Cody Kessler, but still, uh, leaping pick on a Cody Kessler pass today. He also broke up a Wentz pass for Aguilar in the end zone. That guy is active. He's always making plays. I just don't see, Mike, like how they can't have... It's the same thing with Goddard. Like, Goddard is yeah. so good. I don't care where you put him. He needs to be <laughs> on the field. And Maddox, it's the same thing. Like
2: He is making plays. Get him on the field. Maddox, obviously, a versatile piece. I think you do have to get him on the field than the two players that you had praised for, you know, they couldn't be two more different types of defensive backs. Maddox is just a twitchy, bursty kind of guy, undersized. Rasul's the bigger guy. You know, gonna have to use this length and, and squeeze the red line up the sideline and really be like in the pocket of the of uh, the wide receiver. But one thing I am gonna do this offseason is I'm going to do a full evaluation, a pro evaluation of Rasul Douglas, do a pro evaluation of Jalen Mills, and then kind of come up with my conclusion moving forward because I do think and people might not believe this because of Jim Schwartz, but I do think that there is an open competition at that cornerback spot especially when it comes to Rasul like long term because when darby comes back i think he's going to be the starter there he might not be ready week one but like overall i think he's the starter between jalen mills and rasul douglas i do think there's a legitimate competition out there would you say that that's accurate yeah i think it's there's so many things open at corner like it's (laughs) it's hard to figure out because like the whole configuration like those three spots i think they're all open for business
1: i think they are too I think the default goes to Mills and Darby. You know, if, if Razul and Sydney and Maddox or whoever, like doesn't step up or it's close, I think, you know, Ty goes to Mills or Darby. Hmm. But if Douglas is just killing it, I don't think they, they're in a rush to take him off the field if he's playing really well. Um, so there's a lot of jobs and roles and things to be figured out at that corner position still that's that's probably you know arguably the most interesting spot to watch this offseason and see how players perform in the practices and then see how guys are getting healthy so that's still like the big question mark for me
2: yeah and the question mark for the defense last year for most of the season was why can't you turn the ball over and then Maddox and Rasul start getting some more player playing time and they have the ball skills to make that happen which I really value like if uh, me and Benjamin Solak say this all the time, if you're going to get beat for the five yards, seven yards, whatnot, and you're going to take the, you know, the eventual shot down the field, you might get beat a little bit, give me some turnovers. And that'll make a lot of those things go away. We'll feel a lot better about it. I think that's what Rasul brings you and Maddox definitely brings you as well. Moving on to linebacker position. You said there was a lot of fluidity at the linebacker group. Obviously, Zach Brown and LJ Fort were new additions via free agency. Kamu hill and Nate Gary returned to try and fight for playing time. Paul Warlow as well. How is that situation shaping up so far? Yeah,
1: so Bradham, Nigel Bradham is actually not practicing right now. I guess he's still recovering from the thumb. Surgery he had late in the year that seems kind of weird. So he's not out there. He was on the a side
2: field, I guess, doing some rehab work. Is is it going to make Nigel Bradham a better catcher of the ball? Because I I don't think <laughs> he's ever been like. What what does he need that thumb for? Honestly, that's true. Sorry, Nigel, if you're listening, I know. Uh, anyway, friend of the show, friend of the show. It's, a, it's all it's all love. Show, we, love we love you. We love Don't Nigel. beat
1: us up. Um. yeah So Zach Brown wasn't there either, and that kind of left Nate Gary. And Kamu Gurje Hill, as your starting linebackers on the Eagles defense, although it wasn't like they were exclusively running with the first team, they also mixed in LJ Fort. And Paul hmm. Warlow, so different guys were getting looks. I just feel like that's kind of how the Eagles linebacker position is when they don't have like an established guy. Like we saw that last year when yeah. they didn't have an established weak side linebacker. After getting rid of Michael Hendricks, they were rotating different combinations. They were rotating Nate Gary in there. They were rotating yeah. Kamu in there in practice. They were doing like a set where Joe Walker was playing middle linebacker and jordan hicks was like playing weak side so like they were yeah. they're doing a bunch of crazy things in the spring so it's kind of hard to make a ton out of it right away especially with brown and bradham not even out there but to me that's what i've just come to kind of expect from the linebacker position for jim schwartz is that he's just going to mix guys in there and see what he likes
2: blg any final thoughts before we go is it about joe ospin's monster pythons maybe oh some reese ice what'd you get into they're huge uh those <laughs> arms are
1: just they're the biggest arms I've ever seen, and boy, would I love Joe Osman to be good. Uh he better be good. Or he better be yeah. something because the Eagles coaching staff and front office and everyone keeps talking him up. He's he's the new Steven Means, right? He's the new Steven Means. I would love for him to be more than that. Uh with all due respect to the great Steve Means, <laughs> yes. more than just, you know, a practice player or a fifth defensive end, but we'll see. I'll I'll touch on uh Nate Sudfeld real quick. Uh kind yeah. of just all out of him, what I saw last year, there's some good, there's some bad. Didn't really learn a whole lot about him, knew. Uh, wasn't impressed by Cody Kessler. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, <laughs> in fairness to him, he only signed with the team a week ago. So I guess I kind of yeah. have to give him a little bit of some slack there. Clayton Thorson, Mike, I-, I didn't think he was terrible. Which (laughs) I guess I expected them to be because I I didn't love that pick. And I don't think looking at the profile,
2: there just wasn't a lot for me to love there. When you watched him, what did you like about him? I I, want to ask you because for me, like all the short area stuff is fine for me. Like clean mechanics, gets it out Mm -hmm. quick, makes quick decisions in that area. I think the longer he holds onto the ball, the more into the danger area you get. But he should look good in this setting. Yeah, I guess that's exactly what to
1: expect then. I just think about how Matt Barkley looked when he came in in (laughs) two thousand. 2013 and you were just like oh man this guy sucks like, just out of the <laughs> gate he was terrible and could just tell he needed time or you know maybe he just wasn't good and with Clayton Thorson I saw enough to be like okay I see more now why like they like something about this it, it's not like a total head scratcher like what are they seeing I don't get it <laughs> and that's there's something to be said for that because the Eagles brought in that Louis Perez guy and right. apparently he looked so bad that they you know they just cut bait immediately because they were like oh man like we can't this isn't we can't there's nothing to work with here like there's just it's horrible
2: well when you can't complete 60 percent of your passes in the AAF I think that's your yeah. first warning sign it's pretty bad <laughs> the last
1: two things I'll touch on real quick probably the most important yeah. thing so we should have led with this it's the jersey number analytics hashtag jersey number analytics Let's go. people are still talking about this Mike yeah. that's big deal. Charles Johnson is now wearing number 84 instead of number three that's a huge upgrade Ooh. for him I mean you can't be wearing number three as a veteran right. player it's not even like he's undrafted free agent. He's like a veteran. Like, Charles Johnson has played in the NFL before, like, for three seasons. And he's working number three, so that was bad for him. But now he's 84. thought he was okay today, I guess. But I'm more intrigued by DeAndre Tompkins, who's going from number one, which is literally the punter's number on this team, to number 81. I mean, that's a Ooh. really good number. for All the come up. No undrafted free agent rookies, I feel like, on other teams are getting 81. Like, that's a really yeah. good number. Yeah. So for him to get that number, big deal. And I will note that Ruben Frank apparently got the rookie guarantee numbers, and he said that Tompkins was third on that list. And that kind of intrigued me a little bit because the Eagles kind of have a gaping hole at punt returner, and Tompkins did that well for Penn State in college. So I kind of want to see if he can kind of be anything. So some
2: encouraging signs from the hashtag jersey number analytics side of things. And also some things overall. We got some good things out of Wentz, Goddard, some of the defensive backs showing up. So it's been a good, productive day for the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, again, this is just the brief overview. We're going to have even more talk about this on BGN Radio, episode 54. That'll be with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowton. Remember, if you haven't yet, smash the subscribe button, leave five stars. Leave a funny review. We'll read them on the air if they're really good. But for now, thank you for listening to Bleeding Green Nation, and we'll catch you on the next one. Been a
0: little too nice to y'all. Now I got to up price for y'all. Snake guys on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. Frozen. A6R to hate. I won't get involved today. Got lost in the ball in age. I'm flipping the balls. I'm
2: flipping the...